This is a way of being in your body, of, of um, experiencing and connecting with your body through your breath that can deeply enrich life. Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello. I'm outside walking in the mountains. You can probably hear the crunch of the snow under my feet. Maybe you can hear the distant sound of the river that's running by. It's really nice. So I'm in the French Alps and I'm staying with my friend Sally-Anne Airy. I've been staying with her for a little bit of time now. And uh, yeah, for just over a month. And it's been really nice. Um, she invited me to come out here. Uh, just really to, I wanted to spend a bit of time in nature and I really, and to spend time with her and get to know a little bit more about what she was doing. We do talk about that a little bit in the podcast. Um, oh, there's a cross country skier about to come past. Hopefully he won't tell me off. I think I'm walking on the cross country ski path. Don't tell anyone. Uh, anyway, it's been a really nice, uh, uh, I've been really nice out here. It's really lovely. It's really peaceful. It's beautiful setting. setting. And uh, yeah, it's been really nice to chat with Sally Ann about what she does. So in this podcast, we talk a little bit about her work with mindfulness and her route into it. And also we talk a bit about... Uh, oh, hang on a sec. He looks a bit unhappy. It might just be because he's skiing up the hill. Um, where was I? Anyway, it's been nice to talk to Sally Ann about leadership, uh, what it really means to lead, whether that's within your organisation or in daily life, really. And uh, yeah, it's a really fascinating chat. So yeah, do have a listen and uh, back at the end to do a little bit more blurb I'll try and keep it shorter this time last week I did a 12 minute intro and was very self-indulgent and read a poem mine out I think this time I'll try and get into the conversation quicker okay I'll be back at the end here we are eventually we've made it (laughs) I've been here I don't know how how long have I been here now what's the day today it's, uh, what is the day? The 14th, it's Valentine's Day. Of course day. it's yes. Valentine's Day, yes. Um, what a lovely day to do it on. So I've been here <laughs> over a month for quite a long, yeah. Quite yeah, a, well you arrived on 27th of December. Yeah. So a few weeks now. Yeah. Yeah, almost, yeah, it's a lot. It's so, amazing how quickly it goes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I think it's been good to sort of, um, mm. rather than doing it straight away when I first mm. got here, to actually yeah. go and sort of actually spend a lot of time with you and see sort of what what you do and also get lots of time in the mountains which has been nice but um yes. i guess a really a, a probably a useful place to start would just be to sort of give a little sort of introduction of who you are oh, and my. you can interpret that however you like <laughs> who am i my god uh okay so uh my name is sally ann airy and at this stage in my life i'm mainly a leadership coach we also live in a beautiful place in the mountains and we run a chalet. We offer people holidays uh, in the winter, which is what we've been doing, haven't we, intensively now for, since you arrived. 
So that's been taking up a lot of our time. Uh, and the other thing that we've developed over the last year, which is more associated with uh, my coaching, but deeply associated with the place, uh, is developing a programme based here for leaders to evolve. And that's the most exciting thing I think I've probably ever done. And it feels like a culmination of, when I say exciting, I mean the most exciting thing I've done in my work. Uh, and it feels like a culmination of uh, of everything that I've learned over these years that I've lived on this planet. So it, it does feel like a very exciting thing to do. Uh, using that learning and experience and... I think optimising the place in which we live, which I feel has so much to offer just in terms of its location and its extraordinary energy and what I notice about people who just come here to ski and how they feel when they leave. Um, I know that there's so much here to offer to people who lead intensely busy lives and who want some time for introspection. Um, So this feels very exciting. And I feel blessed to be, have found this place, to have been able to renovate it, to be able to offer it to people to come. And uh, that's just the most special thing. And I'd like to do more of that. I'd like to do less of our incredibly intense um, busyness that you've observed and been very much part of, Marcus, for the last several weeks. I have a bit more space uh, in the winter to enjoy the mountains And so to earn our money in a way that feels more nourishing for us and, you know, the people who come. And I guess you say you're starting the leadership programme, but you have already Mm. started the steps towards that. I mean, a few weeks ago, you ran the mindfulness, the mindful skiing programme. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think what was interesting is when we found this place, one of the first thoughts I had is, wow, this would be a fantastic place for people to come on retreat. It was just an idea that I had. I had absolutely no idea how I was going to do it. Um, but after, you know, a couple of years of living here, we, we ran our first retreat. And we just, we called it Mindful Living. And we put something together and people came. And we learned a lot from doing that. And since then, we've run more specific retreats um, around themes like transition and resilience and, yeah, mindfulness. And so we've started doing something we call mindful skiing. We're not the only people to do it, but there aren't that many people doing it. And it's attracted quite a lot of interest. Um, and we've had quite a lot of press coverage, mainly in the French press, it has to be said. But, you know, it's interesting that it's stimulated interest. And, yeah, so every January we run a mindful skiing programme, which is wonderful. And I think, you know, we're figuring out what we're doing as we go. People who come seem to love it, so that's good. Um, and we've got more ideas for next year of how we might develop it further. So what would you say that mindful skiing is? I know that when I was coming out here, yeah. when you invited me out here, I said to a lot of people, I'm coming out to stay with Sally Ann, and she does the mindful skiing retreats, and everyone sort of their, you could see their minds frazzling and being like, what's <laughs> mindful skiing? How does that work? Yeah, how would you describe? I, I think I'm still figuring it out, Marcus, but I think, I, I think essentially mindfulness is, because mindfulness is a way of, being um, I think it's interesting to explore how we bring mindfulness to what we do so why not explore that with skiing and so with skiing I think it can enrich and deepen the experience of being on the slopes now it's already amazing to be on the skis in a beautiful place moving through the snow 
But I think if we can stop and become deeply aware of how we're feeling, where we are, uh, sense the connection of all of that and the wonder and the awesomeness of all of that, it really does change the experience. And so mindful skiing for me is about embodying the experience of the skiing rather than kind of, you know, being led by it, by, you know, just doing it like we might do many other things in life without really thinking about it and thinking about what it's, the wholesomeness of it or the entirety of it or the completeness of it. We just sort of do it um, on autopilot. Uh, And I'm not criticising that, but I think if we can stop and really think and feel what we're doing in any activity, it enriches it in some way. And I think we learn more from it. Um, so I think it's about deepening the experience of skiing, but that's not to say that you can't have a lot of fun skiing. But if you want to deepen the experience, if you want to explore what it feels like to really embody the sense of being in the mountains on the skis, then I think, you know, having a go at mindful skiing is a nice way to do that. And I guess you do the, um, the, the mindful skiing aspect of it, but it also brings with it a lot of skills and a lot of understanding you can take away yeah. into your other life. So it's maybe like a, yeah. I, this, I mean, I'm quite into mindfulness for a, year, a, a few years, but I guess there's some people that that's like a scary word. So maybe that's another entry into it. If people think of mindfulness as just having to sort of sit down and meditate mm. on a cushion. And, and I guess this is showing that there's a different world of mindfulness. Yeah, as well. I, I think that's another part of it. I'm, I'm quite keen to, for people to, realize if you like and I say realize because to me it's clear um that mindfulness isn't just about sitting on a cushion and being zen or trying to be zen um for some people that's very limiting people who are very active who like the outdoors who like to run or walk or play sport you know the idea of sitting on a on a cushion and you know trying to meditate is is pretty off-putting and that's a great shame. So therefore, does that mean those people can't practice mindfulness? Well, of course not. I mean, mindfulness can be in anything that we're doing at any point. And that's what I want people to kind of get, is that this is a way of being in your body, of, of um, experiencing and connecting with your body through your breath that can deeply enrich life and can be really beneficial for all kinds of other things in life as well, like stress and creating space and thinking more clearly and all those other things. Although I don't like to think of mindfulness as a, a tool to those things or it, it is in and of itself just a lovely practice. But, you know, it can also help people. So what a shame if people don't realise that they can do mindfulness in any activity um, and that's and it's still mindful. You know, I meet those are people who who love to run and, and when I explain mindfulness to them, they say, oh, well, I think I do mindfulness when I run. Well, yeah, I bet they do because they become engrossed in what they're doing, in the activity, in how they feel, in their surroundings. They kind of create some space in doing that. And, and that's essentially what mindfulness is. You know, it's, it's creating space and switching off and feeling present and alive and appreciating the beauty of the world that we might otherwise not see. So I think if we can do that through skiing, then it's another vehicle and we learn tools, which we fall in love with, I hope, that we then take back to our everyday life. So I think it's just a really nice thing to do in the mountains. Yeah. And snowshoeing as well, you know, mindful snowshoeing, anything like that is uh, just lovely. So, yeah, so the programme we've developed is, you know, with 
a great, wonderful guy called uh, Ben Cox, who's a Qigong and Tai Chi teacher and Chinese medicine practitioner. And you met him. And so we do some nice work in our new studio. And then we take that learning onto the mountain. So, you know, it's nice. It's nice. And people have found us, you know, people who wanted to learn mindfulness, like, like Eric, who you met, found us because he didn't particularly want to do mindfulness in some stuffy room, he thought. Actually, he's come round to that now. He's come round to, in fact, I think he's signed up for for Passana meditation on the back of our mindful skiing, which is interesting. But he first found us because he was looking at how he could do mindfulness in action. So I think it's a nice entry point for people who've never done it. I agree. I really enjoyed the the Mm. chance I got to go out on the mountains with the mindful skiing thing. Yeah. And saying again, and I've really appreciated having that beautiful meditation yoga studio that you've just finished prior to my arrival it's been the <laughs> most amazing thing i'm going to miss that when i go just having yeah. access to such a beautiful space it really is a lovely space yeah. isn't it we were in it this morning and every time i go in it kind of warms my heart in some way so it's got some energy hasn't it yeah it's really mm. nice so yeah i'm very very grateful for that and to my husband simon for doing all the boring paperwork that enabled it to happen so um i i feel yeah. this one thing i can't we can't really have this conversations without me asking like I know you as Sally Ann peaceful mindful Sally Ann because I met you through a mindfulness sort of breathing workshop that you ran a couple of years ago at the happy startup summer camp which, mm-hmm. which is how we know each other through that community um but obviously prior to that you were in the navy you were co- a commander in the navy is that correct that's right yes so tell me about that that's how was how is the route from that to to hear how, how did that look yeah I, I think it was my savior when I left the navy I, yeah. I did actually I was talking to someone this morning about it who's she's going through a bit of a tricky time in her life and she asked me um you know how I felt when I went through divorce actually um and actually I fell apart is what happened and it wasn't just the divorce it was also the fact that I left my career of 23 years And we not only moved house, but we moved country. So there were three kind of very major things that happened within a period of about six months. So, you know, quite a lot of strain or stress or whatever in a short period. So, you know, it was tough. But the impact of it was deep and painful. And uh, I say I fell apart, but I did. I fell apart in that the person I thought I knew no longer existed and of course still existed but I realised I'd existed within a framework perfectly happily successfully but when that framework was no longer there I didn't quite know what to do with myself so that's not terribly proud of that but that's just what it was and so many other things happened but one of the things that I'm immensely grateful for is to have discovered the writing of Thich Nhat Hanh, who was my gateway into mindfulness. And I think the, it's the practice of that and the you know, developing understanding of it. And it's, goodness me, I'm a novice. But in, in moments now that I still have, probably always have, of, of stress and impatience and unclarity and all those human things that we all experience, I know that if I can just return to my breath, and take a moment and see things as they are and not as my thoughts might be telling me, then I can find my way through it. So I think mindfulness is just such an amazing 
way of being, you know, that certainly helped me. And I don't, or I always recommend it to people. And if people have never practiced it, then I try to encourage them to. Even if you just sit and take three breaths and focus on your breathing, something will happen. The connection between leaving the Navy and where I am now is mindfulness, actually. Yeah. So I somehow brought us here, I think. And do you think there's elements of your career in the Navy that have like informed what you're doing now? Or are they completely two separate worlds? No, no. I think I went through a period of thinking I had to leave all that behind that it wasn't me anymore. And then I think after a while I realised that's absolute nonsense because of course it's still me. And of course I have still have those traits. And you know what, if I was back in that context, who knows, I might well go back into that into that kind of way because, you know, it did serve me in that context. And I think that's the thing that I've maybe learned, one of the things I've learned is that we're different people in different contexts and that's okay because we need to be. Um, we're not, we're all kind of comedian, I think. And... Um, it's not hypocritical or inauthentic to change. I think it's quite helpful to have a grounded sense of centre. And I think I have that much more than I used to, which is very helpful. But, you know, we do need to adapt to different situations in order to get, you know, different outcomes. And so I realised that what I, whatever I did then and whoever I was then is still part of who I am. Somebody actually described me when I was talking to him about all of this a while back as soft navy. In fact, that was Charlie Davis. He sent me a, a note. He even drew, drew me a little graphic, actually. It said soft navy, and he sent it to me, which I thought was quite nice. What did he mean by soft navy? <laughs> I think he meant it was the combination of navy, whatever that is, you know, all those things I've just said, and the achievement of all of that, which took quite a lot of perseverance as a woman in a man's world and so on. And then the sort of softness, which I think I've developed since then, which I'm happy to have developed more that I probably didn't have in that way. I mean, it was always there, I guess. It was always there. I haven't kind of, you know, manufactured it, but, you know, the opportunity to allow more of that to emerge. And I, I think, you know, speaking from my own experience and also thinking of people that I coach and work with, you know, it just keeps reinforcing my belief that we, we have all this within us and it's really allowing it to emerge. And for whatever reason, sometimes we suppress some of that stuff or we allow our voices or our thoughts to discourage us or tell us that we're not good enough or whatever it may be. So I think it's important to create the space to realise all of our potential or to realise all the potential within us, which we'll probably never realise. It's probably unrealisable. But it's there and can be at least given a voice and space. And mindfulness helps us do that by creating that space. So I guess there's sometimes where you, um, you like you said, you maybe you'll manifest some part of yourself which serves you at the time. Mm. But then often the difficulty can be realising that you've done that and letting go of that when it's no longer serving you, so. Or heading off down some track which isn't serving you at all, actually, but because it's a habit. And then realising that we're in this habit mode and then somehow allowing that to be less strong I think I tend to think of it as sort of okay recognizing it's there kind of accepting it's there and then diminishing its power trying to diminish its power so that you know, I'm I feel as if I'm managing it rather than it controlling me but it's there and it's nothing to be ashamed of it's just one of those things it's part of who we are and I think we need to exercise compassion towards it actually and not give ourselves too hard a time 
And same with other people when other people behave in strange ways. Yeah. <laughs> just like I do. Um, just to accept that they're human beings and that they've got their own stuff going on. And, um, you know, if we can be compassionate and patient and tolerant, then probably we'll work our way through it. I understand. And mindfulness that. helps that. I think so, yeah. I mean, I find with like, mindfulness, I go through phases of doing, being quite um, sort of committed to a regular practice. Mm. And then, um, then it's sort of fizzling out. And uh, I mean, I, I think actually something I noticed this last, like this last week or so, I haven't been. I think I was, I did that, that we sort of, I did that 30 day yoga thing. And I, like every morning I'd do that yoga and then I'd give myself not always a huge amount of time, but afterwards I'd just sit there. So sometimes sort of 10, 15 minutes of just sort of doing a bit of sort of silent mindful meditation and then this, I finished that, and then this week I've been very sporadic around it, and it's I can I can sense that feeling like a bit off, something's off, and I mean I think there's all the other factors around it as well, but I think that just that routine of being able to do it I think really helps for me to ground myself. I mean there's various things that spending time outside, which there's lots of opportunities to do here, um, but which I sometimes I don't, I don't think I haven't every day been out taking advantage of that so it's something I should do more but um but I think it's really interesting just to to look Mm. at that and see I think the other there's probably another aspect that it's my birthday in like two days and I think I think or I think it's for me anyway it seems natural around my birthday to suddenly start having existential panics (laughs) to remember that the grand old age of 30 well yeah I know it is but like there's still it doesn't matter what age you are I think like I still like will start to think like okay so I'm 33 now so what Mm. should I have achieved at 33 which is an arbitrary nonsense question which doesn't mean anything and so that's like I mean today I was starting to or the last few days I think that's been part of it but today I just realized okay go out and walk in the mountains so I walked up the path through the snow through the trees and Mm. I just felt like okay like I can it's so much easier now to sort of just stand in nature I just stood on the side of the hill and just sort of breathed again and just sort of landed right where I was and just I could see all the things in my head suddenly like all I mean essentially all evaporate because they didn't really have anything to hold on to anymore and I was and it's yeah. it's really it's powerful I'm gonna stop look at the trees listen to the waterfall it's really nice like um the sky's really blue and actually it's looking quite green it's been quite warm for the last few days and sunny so i can hear all the water with the snow melting off the trees anxiety is ridiculous how can you be anxious when you're surrounded by this just awe-inspiring nature well maybe you can't that's why being outside sort of drains my anxiety there's nothing and I start to feel free again it's really interesting I think so. yeah the idea that they didn't have anything to hold on to because we enable if, if we attach to our thoughts yeah. we give them power so yeah. somehow I think if we can practice detachment disassociation not not they're quite interesting quite interesting these thoughts aren't they we're kind of curious about them fascinating really mm. but la- largely nonsense yeah 
out there in nature is what's true and real. And whatever age we are, if we start saying to ourselves, what should I have done? What is the point of that? I mean, I understand it. And it's not that I haven't done it myself. But when we, look, when we step back from that and really look at it, you know, objectively, you know, it's like, what's the point of that? I think the question might be more, since I was 32, okay, in the past year, what have I learned? What have I loved? What do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of? Because that's more tangible, isn't it? And who's to say what anyone should or shouldn't do? I mean, where, where's the book that says that? You know, where are the rules that say this? Just in our head, that's all. Or somebody else's life that appears so much better, which it definitely won't be. Now I don't believe it, but I think it's a constant process of regrounding myself in the understanding that, like, I'm enough. I don't yes. need to be doing what other people are doing i don't need to be sort of reaching this metric this amount of money this like i don't know whatever like all these arbitrary things uh, but like even with that understanding if i don't sort of if i'm not careful if i don't con- continue to foster those things which create those the conditions which make me feel grounded and connected to myself and other people it's so easy for that to start trickling back in so there we are so you know what it is about you that there's this thing at the moment in your life which may or may not change in the future but at the moment in your life as you are right now this is something a theme which for whatever reason re-emerges from time to time and if you know that you have a practice that if you maintain the practice of it helps you or helps that not to be or deters that from being too powerful then do the practice because that practice is gold and, yeah, and I get that because it helps me too. I think it helps probably most people, although I can't speak for other people. Other people have other things that they do. And uh, that's fine. Whatever, whatever it is that helps us to feel more centred and grounded and stable and to see things more clearly. And we have to have that in our life because this point in life, where we are in our history, the priorities that we've you know, that exist in the world because of where the world is at the moment. I guess what I mean by that is we're not in this part of our world involved in a big war, which would change our priorities entirely. We're not, we're at a place of relative peace and a lot of um, challenges politically. I mean, obviously, the dreaded, which I'm not going to mention is one of them. But, (laughs) you know, all kinds of things going on which challenge us and challenge our beliefs and and our sense of um, reassurance, for sure. So it's not, it's not, I'm not saying life's easy, but relative to other times in history, it's easy. And I think when life's like that, when we don't have predetermined, clear, strident priorities, then I think our mind is apt to dwell. Sometimes our mind um, searches for difficulty, bizarrely. Why wouldn't it just choose to be blissfully happy? Mm. But for some reason, our mind isn't wired like that. Our mind. So if, if a massive problem presents itself, we manage awfully well. If something ghastly happened here, like some, heaven forbid, earthquake, or you know, something, it would be ghastly and horrible, but we would cope. It's the little things of life that are hard. 
And in periods of peace and relative ease, these little things become big things because somehow our mind does that. So the more we can create peace and a sense of peace and space within ourselves, the easier or the more ably we'll cope with that. And, I, and so I think it's kind of essential, actually. It's just an essential practice. And yeah, I, I get that. When I, I have a, a regular morning practice, a very, very simple thing that I do, and if I don't do it, I miss it. What is your morning practice? Uh, it's terribly simple. When I first wake up, um, before I even get up, I kind of um, do a body scan. So I kind of like connect with my body, starting from my feet through my body. And I just have a way of doing that that I've practiced. And, and I breathe. And then I do a whole bunch of stretching exercises. Um, so it's about moving into my body and into my breath first thing in the morning. And if I don't do that, I'm a bit lost. So it's really important for me to do that. So I would recommend that to anyone. And it, you know, it needn't. I mean, I take about twenty minutes, but it can take five, and it's fine. Or it could take one. Just do something, you know, just to connect, rather than just kind of going into auto as soon as you get up. So that helps me a lot. I think. I mean, for me, that's. Mm. I feel the important thing about the morning practice is really that it's sort of setting the foundation for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I find the days where I just sort of roll out of bed like walk into the kitchen, make a cup of tea, sit down to breakfast, and then I go on my way. Like they're the days that like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like there's no, I don't know what it is. It's that just sort of splitting up that sort of, so it's not just like a f- sort of sleep, wake, sleep, yeah. wake. It's yeah. like, okay, it's some sense of like, this is how the day needs, how I would like the day to go. And that's, yeah. Well, it's funny because I was reading something earlier today. I'm trying to think who it was now that this person said, you know, we, as we live our days, we live our life. I mean, it's pretty obvious that however we live our days determines how we live our life. But I think it's quite helpful to think of it like that. So yeah. that each day is precious, each day is new. And whatever the day was before, the day before might have been crap, you know, rubbish day, whatever, for whatever reason. The next day is a new day. We don't have to think about the day that happened before. We might learn from it, decide what not to do again, whatever. But we need to think of the new day as the new day to embrace. And what are we going to do in that day? And that is then our life. And I think I find that helpful. Because I think it can be easy to forget. I mean, it is simple advice, but it's just, it's always a simple advice, which is the most helpful, but the most easy to forget. And so it's useful to be brought back to that because I think yeah. you can sort of, easily get into the idea of this is what I want from my life but then not do it not be making any steps like sort of that yeah. day to do it like I'm yeah I think, I think it's quite helpful to think and you were saying about you know I'm enough and all of that I think those are helpful thoughts but I think it's also helpful to have to, to kind of get clear on what you want to do and then to decide what steps you're going to take and I think that's helpful because it gives us a sense of purpose and and, and actually ideally you'd get clear on what all of that first you sort of get clear on your purpose but even if you don't feel completely clear on your purpose even if you're allowing that to emerge I think to say okay so what's the direction I'm going in here I'm not quite clear I'm not totally clear about what the end point is and maybe I don't even want one but what direction am I interested in following and in order to make that happen what are the steps I want to take and I think I think that's okay and I think that's helpful whilst not being too not, not attaching to it too closely because I think if we hold these things too closely then we can miss stuff 
But I, I find it helpful to think of a sense of direction and to set an intention. And it's interesting how when we set an intention, we start to notice things. And you've had this that you, know, you might have missed without the intention. So I find all of that stuff interesting. But not everyone needs that. I mean, some people, it's fine. They don't need it, and that's great. So I think it's important to know what we need. And if it's, it helps me to have a sense of direction, to have an intention, um, to live each day. And these things I just find helpful, so I do them. Well, I, I, we, we have talked about that because, I mean, essentially that's the reason I'm here because when you had that chat with me in September or whatever and asked me what I was doing in over the winter, I said mm-hmm. after Christmas I actually don't have a fixed plan, but yeah, I actually have the intention of these sort of X, Y, Z. I don't know, like, what was it? Like, I want to be, I'd quite like to not be in the UK. I'd like to do stuff outside. I'd like to sort of help someone with their own stuff and also get some space to do my stuff blah 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 and yeah. like and I did but I was I but I don't know what that looks like but I can feel those those are my intentions of what it I'd like it to contain and then that then yeah. you made the suggestion of going coming here and so yeah I can without those intentions I would have had we would have had that same conversation what are you planning on doing I, I don't know right yeah not sure, hoping something will turn up. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the same thing would have happened, but I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, certainly when you described, as you have just done, it felt completely obvious to suggest that you come and spend some time with us because we can always do that, use the help as you've, as you've experienced and you've been extremely helpful. So it felt like, yeah, because you had that intention, because you expressed it in that way, it felt like a very good fit. That otherwise, yeah, as you say, it might have happened, but it, it not with that sense of fit. So that's very interesting, isn't it? I think so. I think once you yeah. have, if you can have those intentions, then mm. I guess the world starts to sort of fall into place around those intentions. Yeah. Like the person that you're speaking to, you will start to, just the words that you're saying, or like there's yeah. some sort of connection between the people that would have, wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have no. been sort of... And, and, and the thing that we'll never know is, was I drawn to ask you that question because of your intention? That part we'll never know, unless you've, you've got some kind of ability to see these things, which I, Unfortunately I'm, I'm, not. Yeah. I'm intuitive, but not that intuitive. So, yeah, so but that's interesting, isn't it, to contemplate that, OK, when we set the intention, we send it out to the universe, and what do we attract? That We'd never know whether it would, ha- would have happened or not but it's interesting to see what happens when we do that now I, I think that so therefore intention is really helpful and getting clear on it is helpful as much with as much as we can you know but it's, I think it's kind of a combination of kind of being clear but also allowing for it to be a complete mystery yeah we talked a lot yeah. when was it the other day when we were chatting about sort of my stuff we were talking about that um space of emergence and what it really means like mm. there's that there's, there's one aspect of it where it's sort of you don't know what's going to happen at all so it's and, and but but it still is helpful I think to have some sort of framework around that uncertainty to otherwise it, so it's not just so there's some sense of like you're able to follow this path but you still don't really know where the path's going but yeah there's some sort of confidence that if you just surrender to it, yes, you will arrive at the place that you need to arrive at at the time you arrive. But it's not the end of the journey. 
Well, you saying that actually um, reminds me of a thing that Joseph Campbell said once. Are you familiar with his work? Yeah, I am. Yeah, and and there's the one I really love that I find very reassuring. Um, In fact, I've used it in the journal that we're putting together for the Evolving Leadership Programme. It's um, something like this. It's follow your bliss and do not be afraid for doors will open that, you know, you never expected or something like that. And it's the sense that you, you have this thing, whatever it is, clearly or not defined, but it's a real strong sense of the direction you want to go and you follow that without fear or you might have fear, but you work through the fear and you follow it and then stuff happens. And it does. So I really love that. It's having the courage, actually, to do that. So is this stuff in, in, in the leadership programmes, go back to that, is what, what are the takeaways that you're hoping people will get from that? But also what's your view on sort of the current situation on leadership? Why do we need a leadership programme like yours? I think leadership is, first of all, it's a very interesting subject. I think people have got a lot of different views on it. Um, in different organisations, you know, so the sense that in a self-managed organisation it might be different kind of leadership to in a hierarchical organisation, or flat structure, or matrix, or whatever. That somehow you need different kinds of leadership, and, and potentially that's, I would agree with that. In that literature, like we were saying earlier, in terms of ourselves as individuals being different in different situations. So, as a leader, if you're in some kind of position where you're responsible for other people you're responsible for making things happen through other people which is one of the broadest definitions of leadership I know then it's important to be able to adapt your style to different contexts so sure enough it might be that the kind of leader you are in a self-managed organization might be different to how you might be in in something in organization that's more hierarchical whatever and that leaving aside you know people's beliefs about whether hierarchies are valid or not they do still exist and different ways of leading are necessary so I think leadership is fascinating but I think what really matters if we are ourselves a leader is that we know ourselves well and that we have this sense of grounded centre and clarity about who we are and what we're capable of and what our strengths are and our not-so-strong points are and what our values are, what we believe and hold to be true and are prepared to stand by. I think as leaders it's absolutely essential that we have that level of self-knowledge and self-awareness in order to effectively you know, and properly, correctly lead others. I think of great leaders and the universal quality that great leaders have is that self-knowledge and that self-awareness or at least the ability to stand for it when it's needed I mean I think self-awareness is something that never stop developing but have enough of it to be clear and solid and grounded and mindful actually present and also leaders I think in, in our current global context, in organisational context, whatever it may be, um, leaders need to be inspiring. Life is hard. I mean, we have a lot of people coming through the chalet that got people here were here last week then, you know, 
the environment they're working in is extremely difficult with impossible targets that nobody ever wants to meet because they're soulless and horrible and political. Government organisations particularly, very uninspiring or de-inspiring, demotivating if you allow them to be. So leaders in those organisations need to be, it's their job to help create working environments that are stimulating and interesting and make people want to come to work. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. A leader might say, well, how the hell do I do that? It's impossible. I've got no control. I've got no authority. Uh, Actually, you do. You do have choices. And if you know yourself well enough, and if you're confident enough, and you, you know what you're capable of, then you can do it. And so I want to help leaders to do that. Because leaders can make or break the quality of work and life of the people in their team and in their organisation. Like it or not, they're important. Even in self-managed organisations, even in the flattest of structures, the energy and the vibe and the resonance that a leader emanates will completely transform the environment in which they operate. It's, It's so important. So I think leaders need to understand that. And they need to understand themselves. And the programme that we've created is all about that. It's all about supporting leaders to understand themselves better through the different uh, themes that we've got in the programme to support that self-work. So this isn't a programme about this is what you do to lead people. It's not about leadership models. And it it will bring out some fundamental tenets of good leadership, for sure. But it's not about leadership models and stuff. It's about understanding who you are and how you do it and and therefore each leader will lead differently but what's important is they do it in a way that feels right for them so that it's authentic and it and it works it's got to work so it's got to be authentic it's got to work so you know it's it is a little bit about in fact it's a lot about developing the skills but skills which are aligned with who you are not aligned with some textbook model something or other that feels not at all like who you are so it's how we how we figure that out how do I take these things and make them mine so that what I do is authentic and inspiring and believable and then then you'll have people you'll 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 be able to work with people then and then there's skills like listening compassion's huge so the skills we can learn but it has to start, it has to start with the self-awareness and the self-knowledge and the self-understanding in order to do the work. And I guess you're talking there like about the sort of the leaders in the context of their work, but then this is also these leadership skills are things which people can apply to sort of their the daily life, the life that they yeah, totally. sort of the world outside. I mean, work. to family life, yeah. to how we interact with our partners and our kids and our and a wider family to how we interact with anyone, really. I, th- I mean, essentially, we're all leaders. We're all leading ourselves in some way. In this thing we talked about earlier, where we want to detach ourselves from our thoughts, if you like, we're leading our thoughts. <laughs> you know, we're detaching and seeing and showing up in a way which is helpful to ourselves and others and our situation. So we're all leaders. I guess until you've developed a sense of uh, self-awareness and a sense mm. of your own agency in the world, yeah. it's very hard to lead if you're not aware yeah. that you are able to yeah. sort of step outside of the sort of constructs of the, yeah. the, the those sort of things that you feel 
I don't know what the word is, like trapped by or... Yeah, constrained yeah. by. Constrained, yeah. that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's constraints and we need to navigate them. And in the end, it's about our relationship with all of that, actually. And it's about figuring our way. I heard someone say the other day is that he was trying actually not to lead at the moment. And I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to explore it further, but the conversation didn't go that way. Um, but I thought it was an interesting statement and I, I think I get what he means. And yet in choosing not to lead, you're leading. You're still leading. You know, he's head of a very successful company. He's still in some way leading it, even if he thinks it's not. So I think it's interesting how we decide what our relationship is and whatever it is, as long as it serves us and serves the people, then it's fine. There isn't any one way. There are certain tenets which I would hold to be true. But other than that, it's about figuring all that stuff out. And once we do and we realise that we've got this thing which is unique to us, then it's amazing. And there's, you know, loads of things can open up when we get that. So what do you think are the biggest barriers which keep people from realising that? <laughs> uh, oh, just not knowing. Yeah, I mean, I saw that's a bit of a not very helpful quest- answer to your question, but it's almost, it's it's not realising that that's what it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of just not knowing, not being aware. Yeah. Not having ever stopped to think of it that way, if you like. Thinking that there's some training that you need to do that tells you how to do something in three simple steps. I mean, that's fine. I'm not knocking those things. And they might well be a really helpful solution to a problem. But what matters is that you make them your own, that you take them back from this training to your workplace and you figure out how, the big how, to bring them into your day-to-day and to make the changes you need to make. So typically what we're talking about is you know, changing behaviours, changing habits. All of these are difficult. So we have to be prepared to work at it. We have to be prepared to practice. Mindfulness is enormously helpful with that. And we have to be prepared to put the hours in to make those changes. Otherwise nothing will happen. This is not a magic pill. But these are ways of looking at things, ways of being and ways of practising introspection and developing self-awareness that can help us be more useful agents in the world, if you like. Useful. I don't mean useful, but perhaps more joyful, more inspiring agents in the world. Mm. And therefore probably more useful, actually. There you are. Depending on how you look at that stuff. No, I understand that. Yeah. If I can relate that back into sort of the... the my journey and the mental health stuff that I do, I think it's mm. a very, there's a similar aspect I see a lot in that. And I can't prescribe that onto everyone that relates to their own individual sort of journeys through that with, with mental health, whatever that means. But I know with my personal sort of situation, especially when I was very depressed, there was quite a huge element of not realising that I had control or a lot more control over my life than I ever had any knowledge of. I just didn't realise it. I didn't know that I could do other things to what I was doing, really. I mean, maybe deep down I did, but I was definitely trapped by the constraints that I had sort of constructed by my perception of the world that I was living in. And um, it was really that sort of shift from being really constrained and not having any possibility to sort of, I guess, like lead my own life, (laughs) I guess. that It was just a switch from like, oh, maybe I do. I don't actually know what that means or how to do that or anything, but now I've had that sort of light switch go on in my head that that there may be a potential to do that. That was the beginning of like a path. 
out of that, which I'm still on. I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. That um, must have been amazing to realise that. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely life-changing. Yeah. 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 And it's that realisation. So I think that, in response to your question, it's the waking up to it. But like I, say, yeah. I guess I'm using that as, that's like an extreme example, and I've covered this before through talking to other people. It's often like if you when you get those extreme examples, which is why I think stories like this often emerge in the sphere of mental health, because there's often people are pushed to an extreme, which forces them to change their perspective. But I think it's the same, unrelated to sort of specifically to mental health, but in life, I guess in work, in your family life there's that sort of element that sometimes it's only when stuff gets really difficult that you're forced. So you can continue through a low level of like mm. works a bit crap, but mm. it's meant to be, that's what work is. Or like, I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with my life back at home, back home, but who is? And to realize that, yeah, those, there are elements of like, sometimes work's going to be, difficult you're not going to like it sometimes you're going to have complications and in your relationships because humans are complicated people but actually an understanding that just a baseline of low-level misery isn't what life has to be no it's very interesting because i think it is really helpful to realize that life isn't you know to coin a phrase a bed of roses it's really helpful to know that. So to have a re- realistic view of life is helpful. Equally, yes, as you say, it's a huge shame not to find joy in it. Because there's so much beauty. And so sometimes when we're coloured by the thought that, oh, that's the way life is and it's hard, and you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm extremely fortunate not you know, to be in penury or in poverty and I have a home and I have, you know, absolutely more than my basic needs met and I'm very, very grateful for that. So I can't speak for the people whose life is extraordinarily difficult. And yet I've met people who, on the face of it, have nothing, but they still see the beauty. And that saves them. And and there are some of us who have everything and don't see the beauty and, and that's miserable. So there's the irony of all of that. You know, it shows us, I think, doesn't it, very clearly that we, something we, again, we all know that it isn't these material things that bring the peace. This peace is what we you know, need to find within ourselves to be at peace with it, whatever it is, you know, whatever we have in life to find the peace. And I think looking at the beauty of the world and not seeing it just as a misery, you know, I mean, even in the most difficult circumstances, if we just look up to the sky, it can change something. You know, even in the most appalling suffering, there can be a flower or something. You know, I mean, it's a bit extreme, but, but I think if we can start looking at it that way, it's enormously helpful, as, as you've described, you know, happened to you. And it changes everything, doesn't it? Thank you for listening to that and thank you to Sally Ann for sharing her experiences and her work. I know before I spoke to Sally Ann, she was a bit worried because it's like, oh, you, this is a mental health podcast and uh, I don't directly work with 
sort of mental health. I don't know if I have the right experience to share. I, don't know. I, I, I think the work that she does is really connected to mental health. I think a lot of, I mentioned a little bit in the podcast, I think a lot of sort of my experiences anyway with depression, I can't speak for anyone else's, were I, I, like partly a fundamental, like, what is it? Not, I fundamentally didn't understand that I had control of my life, that I was ultimately the one that I was waiting for to come and save me. There's uh, other people could sort of guide me and help me, but ultimately I was the one that needed to take control and lead my own path. So I don't know, and, and mindfulness is a very, very important part of my sort of ongoing journey. I think without that, I'm, I honestly, like maybe it sounds extreme, but I don't know whether I would be here today. Um, but anyway, so you know, I think they're very linked, and I'm really thankful for Sally Ann for inviting me out here. I've got about three weeks left, and uh, it's been really just so amazing just to spend this much time in the mountains and this much time in nature, going out for walks, doing some snowshoeing, uh, doing some skiing, but also really sort of getting involved. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of hard work for. Sally Ann and her husband's business of uh, you know there's sort of lots of like snow shoveling which is quite can be quite grueling at 6am to get up and shovel 15-20 centimetres of snow and uh, like cleaning rooms that sort of thing but it's been really really rewarding and I'm really going to miss it when I leave I'd like to come back in a different season as well and see what it's like in the summer I imagine it's beautiful but anyway so thank you very much for listening I'll put links to Sally Ann's website below. Sorry, I've been walking for a while now. Quite exhausted. I forgot to mention it's my birthday today as well. So nice to go out for a walk by myself on my birthday. Oh, anyway, and also if you're interested in following more about my journey with Ministry of Change, exploring narratives around mental health and what it means to be human and how to navigate this weird and difficult and wonderful thing called life, then check out my website, which is the ministry of change.org and uh, go and listen to some of the other podcast episodes if you haven't there's some really interesting chats on there uh please do rate and review this podcast that really helps me to reach more people it doesn't cost you anything but if you do have a little bit of extra cash then i have a patreon page i'd really like to thank all the people that are currently supporting me on patreon it really really does help me to share these stories and complete and continue to do it i don't earn a salary from doing this so it's really i mean that money is really important i have quite a low cost lifestyle but some things you do need money for i have to be realistic about that but anyway that's my burden not yours unless you can help so uh anyway enjoy the rest of your day go back and listen to some of the other podcasts and i hope to see you back here again soon goodbye